This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome, a podcast where I, your host, Shane Told, talks to all your favorite front men and front women about what it's like to sing in a band. Speaking of front women, we have our first female guest. Very excited to have Jenna McDougal of Tonight Alive on the show this week. Before we get into that, a big thank you to everybody who tuned in last week for the two-part Warp Tour special. Uh, it was a lot of work putting that together, I'm not going to lie. Um, if you missed it, please go back and check it out. I talked to six lead singers over two episodes, uh, not just about Warp Tour. We talk about a whole whack of stuff, and there's some really interesting stuff in there. So make sure you go back if you haven't heard that yet. Uh, make sure you're subscribed, of course. Um, and of course, I love when people get in touch. It's real easy. We're on Twitter. Lead Singer Sin, S-Y-N. We're on Instagram, at Lead Singer Syndrome. We have a Facebook page somewhere. <laughs> and also, you can just email me, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. Always appreciate your feedback. Love ideas for the show. Also, I'm going to talk about this now. I had a hidden message a few weeks back. But we are going to start some kind of a VIP club. And a lot of people have been asking for it. Hey, you know, what can I do to help the show grow? How can we get even more content and extra stuff and merch and everything that pertains to the show? We are really close to launching that. But before we do, anybody that thinks they want to sign up for a VIP program, please get in touch and tell us what you want, what kind of things you'd like, how much, you know, you would pay per month to, you know, be a VIP member and, you know, be able to do all kinds of stuff. You want to come on and host an episode with me? Maybe we can make that happen. I don't know. But give me those ideas. Give me the feedback. I would love to hear from you on that front. It's really easy again. Just email me, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. In other news, I'm on tour with my band Silverstein right now. I'm currently hanging out in Philadelphia on a day off. It's actually Easter. Happy Easter, by the way. And we've got a few dates left of our headlining tour. We're going to be in Canada and Waterloo. Barrie, Ontario. Those are a couple cities we don't play very often at all. So if you're Canadian, check it out. We're also hitting up Grand Rapids, Syracuse, Indianapolis, Clifton Park, New York. So check that out. It's uh, literally this week, and then um, we won't be touring the U.S. for quite some time. Also, I know I talked about it a few weeks ago, but I have a solo project, River Oaks, riveroaksmusic.com. Check it out. There's three songs up for that. And I'm right now scrambling to write more, hoping to do you know more stuff with that in the near future. But if you haven't checked it out, please do. Anyways, back to this week's episode. It was really, really nice talking to Jenna. She is so lovely. An amazing singer, an amazing performer. She has such a cool style. And everything she does, she makes her own, which I think is really, really awesome. Tonight Alive has a new record out. It just came out a little while ago. It's called Limitless. Check that out as well. Anyways, without further ado... Here it is, my conversation with Jenna McDougal of Tonight Alive.
Hey, How's it going? Yeah, good. It's freezing. I'm in Milwaukee. <laughs> like ice cold, dude. Like your face starts to hurt after a few seconds of being outside. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you deal with the cold because, I mean, I know it's like most Australians have never seen snow before. Mm, this is true. So when you came yeah. over, it must have been like the first time you'd ever seen it. Yeah, that's right. I saw snow for the first time in Salt Lake City and I, th- I thought it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. We were at a Chinese restaurant and we just went outside and stood in it for like 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and now, yeah, fast forward Mm -hmm. to now when you're like, this is the worst. Yeah, well, you don't realize that it's actually wet. You don't think like that it's ice. You just think it's this beautiful white fluffy thing and it's just not. It's an illusion. (laughs) Oh, I wish it was just like pillows everywhere. Wouldn't that be the best? It would be. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'm from Canada, so... Uh, I know a thing or two about snow. Mm, I bet. Yeah. Where do you live now? Uh, I live in Toronto. Oh, you do? Cool. Yeah, yeah, I do. I've, I've lived there, you know, there my whole life pretty much. And, um, mm. it's still like always that, like, there's always that, that one day where you wake up and like, you know, cause it'll get colder and colder, but you won't get snow yet. And then you'll like, there'll be that one day when you look out the window and my reaction is always the same. When I see snow, I'll be like. Fuck. <laughs> That's so funny. It's just always it's so like funny. Because you know, we like for us it's just a pain in the ass. Like driving in it sucks, mm. shoveling it sucks, like, you know. Well, I was kinda of thinking yesterday we were leaving the venue and I was lucky to be wearing boots, but like it's so easy to have like an accident the the whole pathways, like all the pavements were just ice. Oh yeah. I don't see how you can go anywhere. Like I just feel like if you can't be outside, then how come you're living there? I don't know. That's just such an Australian way of thinking about things. That's what I miss when I'm on tour is, like, being outside with no shoes on. Or- oh, oh yeah. No, no, no. I know. I, believe me. Every time, like, I, you know, I had to walk to school, like, you know, it was only, like, 15 or 20 minutes. But when it's, like, 25 below walking to school, That's crazy. it's the worst. And, yeah, and I, every day I would think, why did, like, our ancestors choose to live here like like they must have their feet must have really hurt if they stopped here so true i agree i agree but yeah i know i mean that must be and like you guys have been i was just looking at your tour schedule like you guys are going kind of crazy right now like pretty Mm. much australia straight into europe straight into uh north america um Mm -hmm. how are you holding up i'm good right now actually i feel I feel better than I did at the start of the tour. I, it just kind of hit me quickly this time instead of like, I didn't, I, I mean, I haven't felt the burnout coming on. It, it just happened really at the start. So hopefully it's kind of like a vaccination and get it out of the way. But um, yeah, we had six months off last year after we uh. made the record. And yeah, so it was kind of like really needed to get back on the road, like personally, but also for the band, it was time to get back to shows. But um. Yeah, as soon as we got out there, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, singing for like more than an hour is not something I've done for six months um, every day. So. Yeah, I know. It's, that's the worst. Just kind of training the muscles again. Right. We just Well, we just started on tour, too. I'm in Winnipeg right now. Um, oh, cool. We were, we were actually just in Milwaukee two days ago, so we just missed, missed oh, each no other. Way. Um, that's nuts. Yeah, um, but it's the same for me. Like, even two months off, like getting back in the groove of singing is just like mm. it can be hard you know to, to be like okay i gotta like go into it super cold you know because you know even yeah. if you practice like and, and i'll always do like oh we'll do some band practices and try to get my voice in shape but it's like it's just not the same thing you know i agree yeah for a week before tour i was like i should warm up every day at least and just like give my voice a heads up that it's going on tour. <laughs> 
But uh, um, it's yeah, you're right. It's not the same. The, the routine is completely different on tour, and you you can't really prepare yourself for touring life. You just have to do it, and yeah, get it. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that's the other thing too about you being Australian. I guess like. I mean, unless you're touring Australia, you're pretty much going into every tour you ever do, like, jet-lagged. Yeah, that's, just, <laughs> that's true, yeah. Dude, it's such a liability. Like, we love coming from Australia, being from Australia and everything, but, like, even just the travel to get to another country takes it out of you, and it financially takes it out of you before you even get on tour, you're under. So yeah. it's, like, it's kind of... It, it's really easy to see why a lot of Australian bands don't make it out of the country. No, no, um, no. Well, into the rest of the world. I mean, you know, there's a lot, of, actually, a lot of similarities between um, Australia and Canada. Mm. You know, because yeah. you know, despite I mean, we're attached to the America, which is nice, but like, mm-hmm. it's still a pain in the ass to get across the border and like, you know, getting visas and stuff. Like, it's not. Yeah. It's not like you know when you're Australian and you go to New Zealand and like it's. Like they don't even, you know, there's no like paperwork at all, pretty much. No, um, this is true. Yeah, it's it just which is really kind of crazy to me. But like for us, it was actually a real struggle. So was that like um, when you guys started out as a band? Was that a big goal of you guys to like to like really get out of Australia and and see the world? Yeah, for some reason, like even with no information or experience, we knew we had to leave. I don't, I think it was just like an instinct thing. And mainly because a lot of our, like all of our favorite bands were from America. So we knew like, that's where everything happens. That was just kind of the idea that we had as like 17 year olds. So yeah, it it took us a couple of years to get out of Australia naturally because we were in high school when we started the band and um, we, we made a couple of EPs in Australia and then our first trip was um, to LA to make our first record in uh, 2010. So that was so. that was your first time over when you made that record. Yeah, wow. we hadn't toured yet. It was cool. That's so insane. Yeah. Yeah, it was very foreign. Um, like. uh, I want to talk about that, but first, I kind of want to talk to you a little mm. bit about like like your upbringing. You know, it's your first time on the show, and mm. yeah, just like like how did you get started in music and and uh, and all that stuff? Um, I guess like I was around music a lot as a child my parents played music in their car and it was just I mean I still remember like the four or five CDs they always had in their car strictly my dad for some reason like the Blues Brothers uh, (laughs) soundtrack was always in his car like so I guess how do you describe it obviously blues um what what else is in those movies I don't really know how to break it down but yeah yeah there's that, and there was, like, George Thorogood, Elton John. George Thorogood, um, Bad to the Bone yeah, guy, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> ACDC, um, like, Academate, yes. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. My dad's rock and roll, and my mom listened to, like, Nora Jones and Shania Twain and Van Morrison and Eric Clapton. So right. she, was, she had, like, more mellow taste. But, like, that was just in the car when we're going to school, when we're coming back from school, going on a, like, road trip, anything. And, um, yeah, and I, I started singing when I was, like, a toddler. I just would sing in my, I guess, if your parents like, encourage it, you just kind of do it more. I don't know. Yeah, so yeah, they yeah. would, like, film us, and me and my sister and my cousins, we'd put on little shows, and that's kind of where it, like, started. And then when I was in school, I was in the choirs and stuff. And then um, when I was 10, I got handed down a guitar from my auntie who was just cleaning out her attic. And Nice. 
Yeah, it was really cool. I didn't know how to play guitar, but I, I took it straight away and I tried to tune it and I snapped all the strings. <laughs> <laughs> and I was 10, so I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But then I, I kind of self-taught myself guitar for a couple of years and then I got lessons and, and that's when I started to learn how to write songs because i had something to accompany me yeah yeah that's that's kind of my story too i guess in a way (laughs) um yeah it's funny i remember the first guitar that i got like the first my dad played guitar so there's always like acoustic guitars like around the house Mm. but i you know for me like i was listening to like metallica and stuff you know so i wanted like that wasn't really cool for you know for me and i was about 10 i was about 10 years old it wasn't cool really no it wasn't like it wasn't cool like because like my dad would play I don't know, like Simon and Garfunkel stuff, which don't get me wrong, was very cool. But when you're 10, like, and your dad's doing it, and then you hear Mm. like a band like Metallica, that's what I wanted to do. So, so my dad's like, my dad, you know, he used to be in some bands and stuff, I guess, when he was a kid. And he, you know, but he'd given away all his electric guitars and his amps. So we went to Sears and we, we got this electric guitar and the same thing. No idea what I'm doing. So I'm trying Mm. to tune it and same thing (laughs) happened. I snapped the high E string and at that age, I thought like I'd broken the guitar like forever. Yeah, I know. It's devastating. <laughs> so I was trying to hide it from my dad. No. And, you know, I was like, Mom, can we get it fixed? And my mom's like, yeah, I think it's not that big a deal. And then I was like Aww. so scared when my dad, I was like, oh, no, he's going to yell at me that I broke the string. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine. We'll just put another string on. And I was like, oh, that's a thing you can do. <laughs> when you were just starting out, did you used to take your guitar to a guitar shop to have it strung? Because I didn't know how to string a guitar. Did you do that? Um, or well, did you learn straight away? I kind of figured it out. Like my dad, you know, because my dad kind of knew. Like my dad oh, knew. Of course, your dad. So he was able to yeah. do it and he would like tune. Like because I'd, I'd, I was taking it lessons and stuff. But like, you know, the guitar would just go out of tune, you know, like during the mm. week. So my dad would tune it up and then eventually oh, I got cool. a tuner and figured it out. But no, I, t- I took lessons like guitar lessons straight away. And mm. um, I think that was really helpful for me musically because I learned like what all the notes are and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So like I'm. Like, I'll be like, oh, you know, like, I'll say to my band, like, oh, we're going to go to, like, B minor here. And they're like, uh, they're like, what, Fret? You know, like, you know, it's (laughs) funny how some people have different, um, you know, ways they do things. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think my, my, like, musicality knowledge is kind of, like, limited, but yeah chord wise and like i can read music and and tab tabs was really foreign to me but sure. <clears throat> at the same time it makes so much sense like what a simple way to learn how to play yeah so um when you when you started getting into like music more seriously um and obviously you're still pretty young like were your parents really supportive of that yeah actually they were i think they were really excited by it cuz they don't play music so oh, i yeah. don't know when we when you were talking about your dad restringing your guitar and stuff, it made me realize they didn't play music. So, it, like, it was really fun when my dad would take me to a music shop and and each birthday would get like a instrument for my birthday. Like, that's I look back, I'm like, gosh, that's like really generous. Like, uh, I got sure. a what did I get when I was 13? I had like my first electric guitar and a 40 watt like Marshall amp. And, and when I was 14, yeah. I, I I got a drum kit. Like, it's pretty fucking great my parents were really supportive in that way and um the the most support that they've ever shown for me was when they let me leave school and that's really something that if you knew my parents that's like really really out of the question I can't I don't really know how to articulate that but basically we had this manager at the time who is is kind of out of his mind and <laughs> like that was her 
a huge mistake working with him, but that's in the past. But basically, like, he, he spoke to my parents when I was 17 and was like, look, they're going to start touring and she's not going to be able to do her final year of school. And I can't believe that he got away with it. Um, it was great. I'm, I'm really glad I left. And I remember teachers were like, are you, are you sure about this? I went to a really nice girls' school, like a Christian school, and it was like no one had ever left school because they're in a band. Like, right. it's crazy. So, yeah, that, in that way, I think my parents were awesome. And, um, yeah, they, they support me as much as they can without you know without understanding the music industry basically yeah that's tough but you still live in australia now so you, so when you're home you see them pretty regularly at least yeah i actually live with my parents oh perfect so well we i we just can't move out yet <laughs> oh you know no no that's like that's the funny thing like people see us like being you know i don't know i hate using the term rock star but like you know what i mean we're we're mm. essentially that's what we are and um it, it's it is funny like yeah i live i lived with my parents till i was like in my late 20s and it was just like mm-hmm. my and my parents are just so cool and it's like mm. what am i gonna do i'm like i'm like gone like nine months of the year am i gonna yeah. like rent an apartment that i'm never gonna be at you know no. it's impossible so, it's yeah. that's kind of another thing about like this this age and also like building a career and all these things that externally like are huge achievements but internally you have this like conflict about the age you're at and where you think you should be and like what you think you should have and own and all this stuff absolutely so i think yeah there's definitely like a battle um within growing up but like your life your life is excelling in so many ways but it's also holding you back in others so yeah you you learn to prioritize and you ever listen to the band uh grade no, uh, they're, they're, yeah, they're a Canadian band. They're from like our okay. hometown, but they they put out a couple records on like Victory and stuff. Um, but they have a, a a quote in one of their songs. It's like, kind of one of their, their biggest hits, where it says, "This is a time in my life when everything is falling apart, but at the same time, it's all coming together." That's nice. Which it's like you got to hear. You've got to hear this song, like the because <laughs> okay. the lyrics are very like he's a singer. Like he talks about listening to music and have these and he says a line in the song too where he says i'll make you a mixtape it's a little cringe now cringy now i guess like but this was like you know 15 20 years ago but then yeah. he says i'll make you a mixtape and then he says um those singers always know just what to say mm. and i'm just like but you're the singer like you know <laughs> so but but i love that you brought that point up because it's it is like so true that like expectation that you, you know, you kind of learn at an early age. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, like basically I'm going to finish school and I'm going to get married <laughs> and I'm going to get, you know, get a job, get married and have children and buy a house. Yeah. Right. And and yeah. that that is like for a lot of people, very unrealistic, you know, especially yeah. to, to put like deadlines on it. Like my sister, you mm-hmm. know, she got married when she was 25 because she thought. She, you know, she'd gone through those steps. She's like, well, when I'm, by the time I'm 25, I think I should be married. So she got married and she, and she oh, married the damn. wrong guy, you know? That's heavy, yeah. Yeah, so, like, you know, I think that those kind of artificial expectations, um, little uh, status quo, it is a real problem, yeah. Yeah, and we also have, I guess we have a lot to be thankful for, for this lifestyle. Kind of teaches us a lot about what we're, like, brought up to believe and how, like, not corrupt, but... Like how motive driven that is, and also, also how like blind 
we we were or like how our parents or teachers or whoever influenced those beliefs like I feel like we're so lucky in our line of work that it's often we're the rebels against what our our former life was or <laughs> absolutely yeah i can't accept no that but that's a pretty good before. way to you that's pretty <laughs> eloquent actually no and and very accurate um yeah well that's the thing is we see like you know how many countries have you been in in the last uh uh month and a half you know how many different mm-hmm. cultures have you experienced and you know you're seeing how all these people are living and like you know you're able to kind of take the things that are enriching to you and that that are inspiring to you and kind of mm. apply them to your own life um you know whereas like somebody that's just stuck in i mean especially places like canada and and australia which are like pretty isolated removed. yeah totally you know, it can be difficult you're right to kind of find your own uh, uh you know place of what's okay i agree yeah. yeah um i'm happy for people that have found you know what they I don't want to say what they believe they're looking for because that makes me sound so cynical but like I just don't think that you can really know without turning down the wrong road a couple of times and looking at your options like I I'm, I get really scared about the idea that I, there's one thing for me um ever I know that I'm I'm living my purpose right now but I don't know if my purpose will be the same forever you know what I mean yeah absolutely so yeah, I mean, as a teenager, I thought I would be married at the age I'm at now, and I don't want to be married now, but, like, yeah. it's it's a huge contrast to what I thought was possible and likely. Yeah. But I'm a lot happier in this in this life that I've um, created or yeah, that no, laid out that's... for me. Whatever, however it's been given to me or, or however I've, uh, you know, chased it down, it is what it's meant to be. Well, it's, it's, I'm sure, I mean, you guys have been doing very well, so it's, uh, it's been very successful. And, and like when I read that you're only 23, um, I was like, whoa, like you're 23 and you've just put out your third full length record and you're 23, which is, you know, pretty crazy. Is that quite different to the timeline that you were on? Well, yeah. I mean, our, well, our first record came out, our first record came out when I was 22. Um, Oh, wow. So... And we've put out seven albums now. Holy shit! <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I just turned thirty. I just turned thirty-five um, last wow. month, actually. I guess like I just think about, um, you know, you being what were you like? You were like seventeen. You left school. You left Australia, mm-hmm. and then like Mark Trombino calls you guys. Mark Trombino <laughs> being a, like a pretty legendary producer calls you guys, and you go to LA and you make a record, and you're seventeen or eighteen. That must have been like, what was that like? Yeah, like, it's so weird when you say it like that. It's a pretty bizarre situation. I was just a kid, like, I was running around not knowing what the hell I was doing. Like, I didn't even warm up back then. Like, I know that's a strange mark of, like, my maturity, but before I would record for a day, I didn't even know how to warm up my voice. So, like, I was so inexperienced. I still kind of don't warm up, to be honest. Really? Oh well, I mean. <laughs> well, I sing like one song, and then I'm like, yeah. Well, it's true. It, it, what we do, it is really whatever you work, whatever works for you. But totally. um, I mean, yeah, like obviously with singing and stuff, like you're gonna find your your place. But I mean, just being that age, like, and not like I don't know, like you don't. I just <laughs> feel like when you're 17, you don't know anything. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Um, like my priorities on a recording day with Mark, we were, we were recording all the vocals at his house and, um, like my favorite part of the day was going to Coffee Bean 
and getting like a frappuccino and then like we would record a bit and then we would like make brownies or a pizza like my days were like revolved around like having fun and that's great like I love those memories yeah that's incredible that you say that because well we we did a record with Mark Trombino too (laughs) really oh of course and uh it was (laughs) it wasn't the best experience like I would say how um, did that go for you? Uh, well, not so good. We, it's probably our worst record. Probably. Wow. Why do? You, why? The mo- well, because of misdirection or? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like hard. I, I mean, I've spoke pretty candidly about about him and stuff. Um, and, and like we, you know, we got like a long okay, I guess. But uh, yeah, just some of the way he operated and stuff. It was just really, really tough. We were super, super limited on time and. Uh, and, and a few other reasons, but so, but your experience with Mark was really positive. Well, um, I think we just—it was one of these situations where I didn't have an opinion, and like I didn't have a vision. So what happened was literally just what happened. There was no—I right. don't think that anyone was really saying what kind of record we were trying to make. I don't think we chose the right songs on the record. Like, it's a long album. I think there's 14 songs on yeah, it. Yeah, there is. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, um, and there's like songs that shouldn't have gone on that record. And I, I like the B sides that we recorded after. What are you so scared of? I prefer to so many of the songs on the actual record. So I really think we made a lot of mistakes and I don't know if anyone's opinion was strong enough at the time. And like, I've never spoken to Mark about how he felt post record, um, we had such a good time making it, as in, like, between he and I, we, we created a really, like, good friendship. That's but, awesome. I love to hear yeah, that. Yeah, it was really cool, but, like, I don't really know what happened after it. We didn't go back to him for our next record, and I... Yeah. I, I don't know. There was no openness. There was no communication about, like, where where things changed in the relationship. But um, that's not really the main point. I guess, like... Oh, I'm kind of forgetting where I'm going. It's a big topic, and I've actually never talked about it before. But, like, we were so young, and I think that Mark had probably worked with a lot of experienced bands that did have direction. I know, I know, like, Jimmy Well, like, those records are, like, very, like, put together. Yeah. I don't know if they were older than us, more experienced, or they just had a better system, like... I just I don't think that enough focus was put on that record, and part of that was our age, but also like I don't know if Mark regret regretted that situation. I'm sure part of it was just your inexperience. Mm. I mean, it was your first full length record. You mm. know, I mean, our first full length record is all over the place too. You know, and and mm. I think that that's not always a bad thing. Like you kind of have to put a record out like that. Almost. I mean, maybe you don't have to, but it's 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 very very rare. That somebody gets it right on their first try, you know? Sure. Mm. Um, um, yeah, I really yeah. envy bands that can do that. Yeah, I know. Like, I mean, like I, I listened to the first Weezer record, and I'm like, damn, <laughs> <laughs> nailed it. And even like um, the 1975, they're f- like they were. What I heard recently is if they've been a band for like, I don't know how long, but maybe we could say like a career's like time, maybe yeah. eight plus years be- before they were called the 1975 and apparently had like a lot of the singles from the first record under different names beforehand and it was just that they kind of got the sound and the branding and everything right and then they made it the record as a 1975 and it it was just a perfect formula and it worked yeah well Um, my friend always says you have your whole life to write your first record 
Oh, and, yeah. And that's kind of a good, a bit of a good saying. And, and you know, even our record we was kind of like a compilation of everything we'd done. Like, did you take, I'm not too familiar with your old EPs. I know you put a couple mm-hmm. out, but did you take any of those songs and redo them we for the did. full length? We did. We took a song yeah. from each EP. So there were two, um, two kind of like repeats on the record. Yeah, no, I think it makes sense to do that. But For sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I can't regret anything, but like... Um, it's not, I, I'm proud of a lot of the lyrics on the record. Like we're still playing. There are a bunch of songs that, that really resonated with fans and that we love as well, that we still play. And sometimes I like, when I'm singing the lyrics, I'm like, I, I don't, I wish I could write this now, but that, that's just had to happen at that time. Some of the lyrics are really surprised me. Um, and they're my most proud element of the first record. Um, everything else would re-record it very differently now, but right, right. It worked. It worked. You know, it, it connected with people. So um, I have to give it credit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's. I always like to ask people about writing lyrics because I always thought I was kind of a. I don't want to say bad at writing lyrics, but it was sort of my least favorite part of writing, like writing a song mm-hmm. or writing music because I love playing guitar and I love like that mm-hmm. whole part of it. And then it was like I love writing melodies, and then it's like okay, now I have to worry about the lyrics. Um, yeah, wow. How, how is it for you? Like, do you do you really plan it out a lot in advance? Like, do you go into the studio with like everything completely done, or do you have no. to kind of make it up on the? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, <clears throat> no. Um, lyrics. Yeah, it's funny. Um, I'm not. I don't think I'm like a poet. I don't. And I guess as a kid, I had books and books of lyrics that I would just write down and read them back. Now they're hilarious. Yeah, but. Um, I know I can kind of tell when I hear a song if the singer wrote the lyrics before the song because I really feel like you they need to come together. I mean, everyone's way of working is appropriate for their music, but, like, for me, music and lyrics have to come at the same time. Kind of like I just can't think of another word except for onomatopoeia. I just think, like, I like my lyrics to sound like the feeling of the melody and right. they all have to be one. Right. So, yeah, I don't, sometimes things aren't finished until I'm in the studio. That definitely happened with Limitless. Um, the song Drive, um, yeah, it had completely different lyrics beforehand and I hated the song so much because they meant nothing to me. Right. And yeah. David Bendis kept pushing that song and so did our label because they thought, like, it's it's... They just liked it. They were like, it's enjoyable. Like, just give it a go. And um, we kind of rearranged it and um, recomposed the song and it became like jammy and we'd never experienced it like that before. We're not really a jammy band, but when we were in pre-production for that record, we, we learned how to kind of get in sync with each other like that. So anyway, I rewrote the lyrics in the studio. So what, um, were, the lyrics, what were the lyrics about before? Can I ask you that? Yeah, um, let me think. It it was like... I'm putting you on the spot. Take your time. No, no, it's okay. I've never, of course, I've never had to describe what those lyrics mean. No, but no. To me, they mean nothing. But it was kind of like all, uh, what was it, all along, you get what you give or you go alone. I don't want to live like a fast train. And it was just kind of like one-liner blah blahs, you know? Yeah. Like, it was really filler lyrics and... um. It was just kind of about gaining, like, kind of looking for perspective, but it didn't mean anything to me, and so I kind of switched it around to, like, this whole kind of thing I went through when we were making the record, which was, like, learning how to say yes and learning how to say no at the right time. 
Sure. <laughs> that was like what I was saying about our first record was I didn't have strong opinions at the time. And I don't think you need to be opinionated to be happy or anything like that. But I definitely needed an opinion so that I could stand up for something I believed in and, and so that I wasn't going to be kind of malleable to someone else's expectation of me or whatever. So that's what I kind of morphed the song into. And right. I'm a lot more proud of it because of that. That's really cool. And I, I wanted to ask you specifically about those lyrics because the way you describe like writing lyrics, how you know you kind of have to vibe out like the music and then figure it out. And do you ever have it happen to you where like someone will be playing a riff or like you guys will be jamming on something and then you'll just have like the lyrics will come to you and you can't change them because that's <laughs> like just what it is. Like that's just what it, you know, does that ever happen to you? Because it happens to me all the time. Yeah, you mean in a negative way and you can't, oh, you can't yeah, get well, something better? Well, sometimes, sometimes it's in a negative way, yeah. When you're like, this is kind of generic. But then in another <laughs> sense, yeah. sometimes it's like it has to be that or it has to be like at least those like kind of like s- syllables. Otherwise, mm. it doesn't seem to fit, yeah. you know? I just like to, I just like to, to, to nerd out with other no, songwriters. That's really, <laughs> it's really fun to talk about it. Um, yeah. Sometimes like the only way I can move away from that is by accepting that maybe it's that vowel sound or the consonant sound on those syllables that is like really, really um, natural in that moment. Yeah. And I'm like, how else can I like, that's exactly what happened with drive actually. Cause it was all the same vowels. Um, but I was like, but the words didn't mean anything. So it was like, how can I take the attack of a K or a right, C sure. or a D or like whatever and and give it meaning? Um, like when you said that, it made me laugh because there's this song in our first EP called My Favorite Thing. And um, anyway, the, the, line, the, the hook of the chorus is... Nice, hi, nice to meet you. Was it nice to meet me too? And, I, and when we wrote it, I said to the guys, "Don't worry, don't worry, I'll take." You. And they were like, "Yeah, that's a really shit lyric." And I'm like, "Yeah, no, but I couldn't think of anything else." And then we just recorded it, and I like it never went. It could never change. Yeah, I know. So. There's a there's a scene they happened on our record. I think I like scream like, "What did I do?" I think I scream it like <laughs> like twice on the uh, same album. And it's I not really like, that funny of a lyric. It's just funny how you imitated it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's fine. You can laugh at me. I don't mind. No, I just, I, um, I just remember having them both and being like, "Well, I've got to change one of them to something else," and I couldn't think of anything. And then I forgot, <laughs> and I listened back to the record, and I was like, "Oh, these parts are like identical." But oh, hey, so it's the same on two records. It's like the same scream. It's like exactly the mm. same. Yeah, like part. Vocal, wow. everything, and I'm like, at least mm. the songs aren't back to back. Well, dude, I just did that. <laughs> uh, I've just done the same thing with our record, um, the song "To Be Free." Um, the pre, like to the chorus, just says, "And I feel like I could fly." And um, a song on our last record, "The Fire," says, uh, "I think I could fly out." Oh, what did that? What do I say? I can't believe this. Um, sorry, it's just that they're so similar. It's literally the same yeah, lyric, basically. Right, right. And a fan said to me, he's like, oh, is that song an answer to the song from the last record? I was like, oh, shit. And I you're did like, not you're like, know yes, it is. That you nailed it. Yeah. You got it right. <laughs> but you, yeah, you just said we don't, oh, at least the songs aren't back-to-back. They're literally back-to-back in our set <laughs> when we play it live. So I'm like, oh, God. But... Yeah, uh, just that do it stuff, with confidence. I know that's right. Yeah, that's like there's always an element. Uh, um, somebody said on this podcast, uh, "Fake it till you make it," and I was like, "Well, that's sometimes that's mm. very much, uh, very much the truth in what we do." Well, 
I agree. My confidence is very much fake it till you make it. If you're in tech, you've been there before. Feeling the pain of hiring a freelancer or new employee for designer development only to find out months later that it's not a fit. And those types of mistakes aren't cheap. Instead, Mutual Mobile, a digital technology consultancy, uses the process it's developed over the past 10 years, delivering over 600 client projects to ensure your fast and beautiful mobile or web app is finished on time and within budget. Mutual Mobile has built apps for numerous companies that have been acquired, such as Eero, acquired by Amazon, FlexDrive, acquired by Lyft, and Map My Fitness, acquired by Under Armour. You get a dedicated team to help you with your tech project from start to finish, from ideation to product shipment to maintenance and everywhere in between. Mutual Mobile designs and builds beautiful mobile and web apps that increase the value of your business. If you have design or development needs, schedule a free 30-minute consultation at mutualmobile.link slash LSS to get started. That's M-U-T-U-A-L-M-O-B-I-L-E dot L-I-N-K slash L-S-S to get started with your free consultation today. I just got sent awesome new wireless earbuds from Raycon. I opened the box, opened up my phone, and literally in less than a minute, I was jamming out to my favorite tunes. What struck me right away was how well these fit and then how amazing they sound. Definitely more bass than my other wireless headphones. But the biggest game changer is the price. The E25 earbuds they sent me start at half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, have six hours of playtime, and really are super comfortable, whether it's music, conference calls, or binging this podcast. And there's no dangling wires or stems to distract other people if you're on a video call. The company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Mike Tyson, and Melissa Etheridge are just a few people obsessed with Raycons. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not the other distractions from the room. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash LSS. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash LSS for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buy Raycon.com slash LSS. Like people were like, well, how are you so comfortable or confident with yourself or whatever? But like I wasn't always. You kind of just, I mean, I'll tell you like something I learned from being like the only girl ever at a venue or at a show or backstage or on a on a bill or whatever. Right. Like at the start, I always, it always, there was a vibe of like, who are you and why are you here? What are you here for? Like, you don't belong here kind of thing. Yeah. And as a young kid, you don't, you don't know how to deal with that and you can't just tell people to fuck off. So I think like... Things are really different now, but um, I I really had to learn how to put my shoulders back and put my chin up and be okay with people looking at me like, who the fuck do you think you are? Um, So that was very much something. It was like a teach yourself how to be confident thing in spite of other people's judgment. Um, Absolutely. I know. I mean, I can't 
imagine going through that. It's like, <laughs> I mean, it is like it's a real male dominated uh, scene that we're in. Mm-hmm. You know, there's yeah. no other way around it. Like I've done, I've done plenty of tours where there hasn't been a single female on the tour, like you know, in a, any of the bands or working or anything. But like, I hate that you felt that way because the I want everyone to feel comfortable when people are around mm. me, like whether they're you know, someone I don't know that's just like, even if it's like sometimes a kid standing in the venue that's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Like during soundtrack, like someone's supposed to kick them out. (laughs) You know, I'll just, I'll just be like, Hey, you know, I'll just be nice and be like, you know what? Mm -hmm. You like, you figured out how to get in the venue. Good for you. (laughs) Feel free to watch a couple (laughs) songs, whatever, you know? Um, Yeah. And I I just think everybody needs to just kind of chill, you know? But, I mean, well, I don't think people realize like how much of an effect you can have on someone just from your energy, like just even internally. If you feel a certain way about someone, or you're giving, you'll give off a vibe, and someone's going to pick it up, and they're going to feel threatened or unwelcome. And it's a butterfly effect. You look at someone with with a certain look on your face, and they like some people are going to be hypersensitive to that, and I'm um, I'm very much aware of that as well. Just from from it like, like happening to me, and then understanding that like everyone should be made to feel like they are okay and like they're welcome and yeah, and, I mean, you know, cared for exactly. You know, it's it even just a smiling at a stranger goes a long way. You know, like totally. Oh uh, my god, it's it's a weird thing, but it, it re- is really you know just the way you kind of carry yourself. It, it really is, mm-hmm. it really is important. Yeah, I agree with you. It happened to me the other day. Um, I'm usually, I feel like I'm usually the strange person that smiles at people and they're like, huh, what the fuck? <laughs> what do you want? Um, but the other day I was kind of like a little down and um, I went for a walk uh, by the venue we were at. It was in Portsmouth in the UK and we're, it's by the ocean and it was just, it was kind of the perfect day to be down because I had like somewhere to go and get rid of that feeling. Yeah. So I went for a walk by the water and, um, and this lady like came up to me and, I, in inside, I was like, "What the fuck do you want?" And she goes, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "Oh my god, yeah, I am okay." She goes, "You look really sad." And I was like, "Oh, thank you so much for, like, thank you for asking me if I'm okay. I am okay." And then she walked away, and I was like, "I just wish I could give her something back for doing that." She did, that changed my whole day. Wow. And nothing, nothing was terribly wrong, but like for someone to kind of intervene like that makes a huge difference absolutely yeah just just for some just for someone to care you know to show that they Mm. care about a fellow human being you know these days is is Mm. is special i mean maybe it shouldn't be special but it is i agree yeah yeah especially when they have nothing to gain from it you you really like i guess the only thing you can gain from it is like satisfaction uh but that's never really the intention when you're asking someone if they're okay, of course. It's just that it happens to give back to you as well. Right. To give yeah. a damn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like, you talk about, you know, your confidence and stuff and it, like, kind of taking you a while to kind of be, I mean, putting words in your mouth, but, like, comfortable in your own skin, you know? I mean, but that yeah. must have been so hard being, you know, a teenager and just, like the way people, the wretched things people probably were saying about you on the internet that, you know, it's, it's difficult at that age to be able to turn that off. Right. Like, was that hard for you? Yeah, I guess I don't really give credit to that time, but people were writing reviews and, uh, of our shows and writing me off. Um, 
Uh, of course, like the only band at the time, you know, female fronted like rock band. Paramore. Was Paramore. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm like constantly had my artistry and my performance like taken away from um, as in people were kind of devaluing it constantly because they all they could see was like a ripoff of another band and um it was really disheartening and I don't I don't really think of that as something that was traumatic or anything like that but um it made it so much more like satisfying to to start establishing our own sound and that that can only happen with age and experience like you only know yeah. so much as a 16 and 17 year old so I was, I was really proud when we started writing songs from like I think from the other side onwards because I felt like I kind of developed my own vocal sound and my own accent I wasn't just kind of singing the way I'd heard other people sing yeah sure so that was cool I think like in recent years is when I've had more criticism about my image um, because of the way I might like experiment with the way I dress, but I've kind of learned that that's, that gives me more of a kick than it does like a kick in the guts. You know what I mean? <laughs> I actually really like it when people are like, why the fuck is she wearing a black fluffy hat that covers half her face? It's like, cause I, cause I chose to. Right. And like, I'm exercising this choice that people don't understand, but like, I like seeing artists that did wacky things, like especially in the 90s. Like yeah. the, the Chili Peppers, their first TV performance, I didn't think they were like really – none of them were wearing shirts. And like I think Anthony Kiedis like a, late, a few years later was wearing like a police hat and like gloves and nothing, you know. I a don't sock, know, a, just, probably a sock over his penis. Probably. Yeah. That's so inspiring to me. That means that – you know how much of a big deal it is if you get a TV performance? Have you? I'm sure if you guys played on TV – um, you know what? We not really. We never de- we never have done like Conan or anything like that. Yeah. No. Well, um, neither have we. But can you imagine like what, when your label or your management gets that, they'd be like, "This is a huge opportunity. People want to buy your records." Right. Like, but, they'll go on about like how much of a big deal it is, and then a band like Red Hot Chili Peppers just goes, "Well, fuck, we're going to do it our way, and if they like it, then they can buy the record. But we're not going to." Make it appealing for everybody just right. for the sake of it. Although you could, the other side of the coin is, who knows, maybe that was all calculated perfectly with <laughs> with management and the label and, you know what I mean? And they're like, we got to do something. Yeah. We got to do something crazy that people are going to talk about on podcasts in 2016, you know? <laughs> You know what I mean, though. Like, like that's so interesting. Like, you, like every time I see uh, like a you know a publicity stunt, it's funny. We're on we're on tour with um with Amorosa and Being as an Ocean right now. I don't know if you know. I'm sure you know mm-hmm. Amorosa at least. Yeah. Uh, we so I was we were finished playing and I walked off and a couple of, like we I didn't I don't know him super well because it was like the first day of the tour, and they're just talking and I'm kind of drying off with my towel and I'm like, what are you guys talking about? You know, like, oh, we're talking about like starting a fake um, like band feud for publicity, <laughs> and, oh, and not really? not that they not that they were starting a, like talking about doing this, just talking about bands doing this as a thing. When was and, the last time something like that happened? Well, right, like I I don't think of it as very often. You know, I mean, back in like you know like the nineties, like the like Blur and Oasis and like all that stuff. But, oh, okay. You know, but we were just talking about how that, how all that, that period of time, it was like, they just wanted to get in those biweekly, you know, music journals, like news, you know, newspapers just for, for press. Wow. So, you mm. know, like every time I see any kind of publicity stunt or anything happens, I'm always like, 
I'm always on the side, like on the conspiracy theory side. Interesting. Uh, as where I'm like, oh, I bet that was like a calculated thing they did. It wasn't just off the cuff. And when it, when it is off the cuff, I I love that, and, and that's mm-hmm. like what rock and roll is all about. But yeah, uh, I I fear that a lot of it is is like a suit directing the the you know the cool tattooed guy what to yeah, do. Yeah, wow. Well, <laughs> you know? I guess it's probably only my experience that makes me think this way, but. Um, what I've been exposed to is like often a label or a management just kind of like trying to clean their artist up and trying to appeal yeah. in a different way. And that's been my experience. And that's something that I had to like find my place with and kind of work against. Yeah. I think you sh- I think I- everybody should work against that. I mean, th- yeah. the, the, the problem with so many of these people is they're like, uh, I mean, especially in like the label side, people just don't want to get fired. You know, mm. and then they're like, oh, well, this has worked before, you know, for other bands. Yeah. So we'll so we'll just do <laughs> this can't. again. And then when if, you know, if something goes wrong, well, it's not my fault. I did what I'm supposed to do, you know, mm. so. Yeah. Heavy, dude. You can't <laughs> apply. You can't apply the same like prototype or whatever. You know, you can't apply it to, to two different things. No, no. It's absolutely not fair. Not. No. But it's I mean, that's so the thing. Wrong. Like, like I, I watched your. Like three, I think you have three videos from the new record that are out, right? Yes. And literally three dramatically different hairstyles. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. And (laughs) yeah, I don't know if that's like, I mean, I think it's cool. And I think that that's awesome. You're expressing, you know, yourself and you just said (laughs) you want to do stuff like that. But I wonder, yeah, does the label ever like, no, no, no. Jenna needs her like her own look. You know, like, uh, yeah. uh, like Haley from Paramore has her like signature red haircut or whatever, you know, mm. like, do, do you hear shit like that? Oh yeah. I think that's something we really battled with on this cycle. Um, like, and we haven't, the record, yeah, it's just come out. It's like brand new, but the, the lead up to it, it was so much head to head, like trying to define the vision for tonight alive in the record. And because it was so clear for us. But getting everyone on our side is such a different story because I guess I don't, I don't know how to articulate this. It's just I, w- I want something different than our, than our label wanted, basically. And I, I yeah. feel like I really had to prove to them that my vision was going to work and that our fans would understand it. And, you know, the type of people that we want to appeal to are not um, are not necessarily people that are going to go to the store and buy the record. I mean... I, w- I want to appeal to people that, that need empowerment and need, like, that want to live a positive and inspired life. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's kind of where, where I was going with stuff. Um, but I'm really lucky, actually. They were quite supportive. I mean, I did the green box braids first. What came before that was actually a synthetic dreadlocks. And mm-hmm. it was just kind of a bit of an experiment that I was had been excited for um over for like nine months and (laughs) I was inspired by um the singer of Killing Heidi her name's Ella Hooper okay and they had some big uh songs in the 90s um oh maybe it was early 2000s I can't remember but I was a kid basically and she was so cool she had like a spiritual vibe about her and she had dreadlocks and she's beautiful and they played rock music um and I, yeah, I really, really, really wanted to go down that path, and I did it. And the label was so upset; they didn't understand <laughs> it. And I said, you know, you should be encouraging your artists to do bold things and to take risks right. and stuff like that. Um, 
<clears throat> it took them a little while to understand that, but they supported me going through the human interaction look, which was the green box braids and like the white, yep. like space, like military look. And it was really fun. And I guess, I guess where we went from there was like, why don't we just not, not belong to one image and just keep changing and keep experimenting. And, um, I guess my idea going into the record was I wanted to look like one thing, which was the green box braids look. But it's actually been a lot more freeing to not belong to anything. Every night I wear something different. Every night I do my hair differently. And I really enjoy not being the same sure. and not being what people expect me to be. That's what gives me like my happiness and my confidence. I think that's rad. I love that. Yeah. Um, Thank so, you. So back to the song Drive. Um, mm. Super, super, <laughs> super poppy. Mm. Um, not a lot of guitars. Um, how has the response been from like your fans? Some of the which that are like you know obviously came up with you guys playing you know some I guess more like aggressive guitar driven kind of like pop punk mm-hmm. or whatever genre you want to call it. Like how has that been, or or is it just like that song kind of just stand stands on its own? Um, I guess just before I answer that, my guitarist would be like really like debating you right now on the the guitar conversation because a lot of people are saying there's no guitars in your new songs um there's no distorted guitars in the new songs i yeah, mean no 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 that's what outs. i mean no 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 that's that's what oh, i mean of course. I, I mean like I'm, heavy guitars like you know not, um, i'm not trying to argue with you yeah. <laughs> of course yeah there's you know what on the record the point we made was no palm muting guitars and that was something that was really really hard for the guys to adapt to and that was their decision it's not that someone said no more palm muting it was just that that was the formula we were so used to and it was that's what we stuck to every time we wrote a song oh here's a verse (sighs) palm mute it yeah exactly um and another thing that we took away from our sound was um lead guitars in the same um range as my vocals because you can go back and listen to our first couple of records and the all the leads are up where i'm singing and there's so much competition mm-hmm. nobody had the space to stand out um yeah so yeah i think like we did really shock our fans with that song but I, i'm more ex- like i'm so excited by the, the people who have really embraced it and um understood it and didn't worry about the package that the song was wrapped in they just kind of understood the message in it and enjoyed the feeling it gave them i think a lot of people have been so concerned about the, the presentation of the songs, um, which of course is is the f- is the first impression you make. Yeah. Um, but I'm just happy that people are understanding the, the feeling and that, that the songs are emotive. Um, I don't feel that any of the songs on the record are the same, and um, maybe other people would group them into the same corners or boxes or whatever. But for me, like every song has a different feeling attached to it, and if that's what people take away from our record then i'll be really really happy it's hard to when you hear like songs before a record comes out because it's out of context exactly you know? and yeah. i'm sure like you guys write you know you guys write go to write a record you don't go to write a collection of songs if that makes any sense yeah no, and, totally and, right. and when you have when you have that you know i'm sure like i saw i looked at the track listing and i saw like drive is like is like number four which you know if, if that's like <laughs> seems like the right kind of spot for it on an album you know and, <laughs> yeah. and then when you hear it in that context it, it kind of makes um yeah, it makes a lot a lot of sense, but uh, no, I haven't mm-hmm. I haven't heard the whole record yet, and I'm uh, I was trying to get someone to send me one, but I'll. Uh, I'm I'll sorry. It. No, it's I okay. It's a Friday. It's coming like, out, so I, I I got it. I got this. <laughs> I'll pick it up. Yeah. Um. Well, we'll send it to you. <laughs> oh, okay. Even better. How uh, How was working with David Bendith? 
Uh, it, was, it was great. It changed our lives. It was, oh, yeah? Um, it was like a constant mindfuck, and he's <laughs> a very spe- special um, man. But yeah, he has incredible qualities, and he's very intuitive. Um, he's very, like, stubborn at times, but he's also... Um, he's also a good listener and that was really important for me because I had found my voice and he was listening to it and it was really, really, we had a great relationship. We, we like, there were nights where I really, really, I don't want to say hated him, but I was very, like, I was really challenged by him and we all were, we all challenged each other and that's, I think that's what made the record what it is. Um, but, uh... Yeah, sorry, yeah, no, I don't I, know why I'm pausing. Like it's oh, it's okay. No, I, 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 um, we were supposed to do our second record with with uh, David Bendith, and this is like mm. way back before he'd done all the like you know magical mm. things he'd he's done you know since. <laughs> um, but it was well, he's Canadian, right? So that was kind of part yes. of it. Um, yeah. But but I remember hearing stories about him like recording guitars and ha- holding a drumstick as, in his hand and every time the guitar player would make a mistake he would hit the guitar player on the hand with the drumstick like is that true like is he that nuts um, i mean that sounds comical like that sounds like something he would do playfully but right, yeah. he might as well do that to you mentally he really does oh. get in your head and um you know there were there were days when he would say to fakayo our guitarist he'd say like why are you wasting my time and like and it sounds so mean but like you love him at the same time. It's yeah. just really love-hate relationship constantly. I remember um, he really takes you to the edge and then that's where the decisions are made. And it, it takes you until you're like ready to break into a thousand pieces and then you're like, this is what I care about. And I remember in pre-production we were working on human interaction and that song was kind of recomposed a couple of times. And for me, it it became a Frankenstein song and I was really upset because yeah. the original composition was the way I loved it, of course. And I'm, I, I'm really glad the changes we made for it to be the way it is now. But at the time, I was really struggling to accept it. I, I felt like he was changing things for the sake of changing things. Yeah. Um, but basically, the, after a couple of days of going through that, I, I, got, I cried and I really didn't want to cry in front of him because I knew that would be... I knew I just didn't want to show any weaknesses, but when I cried and I and I stood up for the song, he was like, "This is what I needed from you." Now I know that this is the right way, and and then that's when we made the decision. So we we always had to get to an extreme emotion wow. to move forward. Yeah, wow, that's so um, intense. Yeah, it was, and yeah. there was a day that I remember standing over the desk and. I can't remember what he was pushing me on, but basically I stood over the desk with tears in my eyes and I was like, you don't want to see me lose my confidence because we're not going to get anywhere. Oh. And he really he listened to me. And then um, that was just another one of those turning points. I just I really felt like we had a mutual respect and um, we both let each other like go down different alleys and turn back if we had to. And yeah, I really appreciated that about him because he never said no. Um, to me, Good. and um, yeah. I never said no to him until like we'd tried it and it was wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you you gave everything a chance. You gave all his ideas exactly. a chance, and yeah, that's important. I think to really have a great relationship with uh, with a producer and a band. Um, mm. Anyways, it, I, it was ahead, definitely yeah. painful. It was painful for everybody, um, but it was because it was growing pains. I think. Yeah. We had, and he was kind of the shaman, you know. <laughs> we had a show one time. This is when he was sp- still still slotted to do our record, 
So we were playing mm-hmm. at Starland Ballroom in um, New Jersey. And so he was watching, like, side stage, and our guitar player broke a string. Oh. So he goes over, and he gives the guitar to the guitar tech. So the guitar tech gives him the other guitar, and he's restringing the guitar, you know, to give it back to him as yeah. soon as possible. So he's restringing the, like, I think it was, like, the low E string, and, and um, oh, wow. Bendith comes over. That? Yeah, I know. You know, you, like, sometimes you break it at the saddle, but... um. Uh, so David Bendith comes over and goes, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. Oh. Pushes our guitar tech out of the way, changes the changes uh. the string, and, the, and uh. our guitar tech's like, all right. Hands it back to um, our guitar player, and Bendith had put the string on the wrong way, like on the wrong side of the tuning post, so like you had to turn it the wrong way to tune it. <laughs> <gasps> oh, my Isn't that God. incredible? Oh, man. So, I don't want to say that that factored into why we fired him, but we were like, What's, who does that? <laughs> so you let him go. Yeah, well, we had, well, it ended up being a whole other thing where we were, uh, we were originally he was going to come, we were going to make the record, I guess, in New Jersey, and then that wasn't going to happen, and then he was going to come to Canada, and then that wasn't going to happen, and then he basically wanted us to record, like, track it with someone else, and he would, like, do pre-production and mix it, and we were like, this is our oh, second record, messy. and we want it, like, and then the guy he wanted to us to record with we didn't really like him and the studio was kind of like it was like two hours from our house which is like sort of the worst distance yeah you know? that is actually yeah because it's like well that's we don't not far enough <laughs> yeah like we don't want to stay like and you know two hours from our, where we live and like pay mm. for an apartment or whatever but we don't want to drive two hours and you know each way so yeah, yeah anyways it's a long it's a long long time ago but i i just thought that that david bendith uh little story was uh was kind of amazing. No, that's just to, really just to give people the idea of of how he can be like. I mean, he's brilliant. Don't get me wrong, and he no, makes amazing records. But how I could see him being from time to time a little, uh, a little intense. Yeah, definitely intense <laughs> is a, is accurate. Sweet. Yeah. Well, hey, I don't want to take up too much of your time. You guys are at the rave tonight. That's right. Have yeah. you been there before? Yeah, we have. I think every time we come to Milwaukee, we play here. <laughs> have you um, Have you explored all the creepy haunted stuff? I was yeah no I I went I've been down to the pool, uh-huh, um, yeah. I, I think I've been down there a couple of times, but I haven't been down to the shower. Is it the shower room or the steam room or something? The shower like is so so creepy. I you know I'm really like sensitive to that stuff. Oh, yeah. I've, I actually I think I'm like working on my intuition now about it's definitely something I'm aware of, and I feel presences and stuff like that. So I don't know if I could fully handle it. Have you ever seen like a ghost or anything? I th- I think I have, but it's like I was kind of not in the right mind to know if it was like if I was making it up or not, you know. Um Yeah. Yeah, yeah no. One time we were exploring like around the, that venue and you know there's that like huge room, I don't know, it's like I don't know if it's upstairs or downstairs, I forget, but um uh we ran into this like woman like cleaning a floor like this old woman. So she, we're we're like wow. yeah. We're, she's like, oh, are you guys looking for stuff? Like this place isn't haunted at all. And we're like, okay, yeah, we're just looking. She's like, you should go up here. So we go up, and then <gasps> we ran into the promoter, and the pr- promoter's like, sorry, what? There's no woman that works here. We're like, oh fuck, no, you're joking. He was fucking with us, yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> dude, that would have been amazing. But it was like, no, the woman was a ghost. Yeah, but. <laughs> I yeah no I'm I think I need to like get come come to like peace with that because um, someone taught me like a, a long time ago they were like you can just say you're not welcome here yeah and that was kind of my 
that's my safe word, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to learn a little bit more about that before I get too close for comfort. Well, so, some of these venues, you know, like that we frequent, you know, your band and my band, they're mm-hmm. old and they're scary and there's been stories and stuff. And, like, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not surprised. I don't know if I believe in, like, that stuff or not. Like, I've never seen... A ghost, but oh, I'll tell you a quick story if you don't, if you got time. Um, we, we were playing at, um, I think it's called Avalon in Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. and you know Salt Lake City's got like so much creepy history. So we were we were playing uh, with this is back in like '06, and the dressing room's like right behind the stage, and there's like kind of a little hole in the wall that goes up to the attic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, so you know, like it's just like dark up there, or whatever. It's like a, a ceiling tile is kind of like missing. So, um, okay. so the drummer for this band, um, it dies today. There, he's like warming up, and I guess like he's warming up, and he's in the room by himself. And out of the corner of his eye, he sees this like, you know, something coming out of the hole in the <laughs> ceiling. So he turns, and it's like he described as this like little girl looking at him <gasps> through the hole in the ceiling. So he <sighs> freaks completely, freaks out. Leaves the room. I've, I saw him. He looked like as white as a ghost. Pardon the pun. And um, <laughs> and, and we were like, "Whoa, what, what? Like this is place is haunted." What? So our tour manager talked to the venue owner and went and was like, "Yeah, our um, the drummer, one of the bands, just saw something like really crazy." And the owner of the venue says, "Oh, he saw her, huh?" <gasps> so he and like so they oh never and they God. never like they never spoke right. So, yeah. so at that point, like, and I know that guy wasn't crazy, like, you, mm. you know, so I was like, that's crazy. And then we ended up talking to security. It became like the whole night was all we were talking about. Wow. And, um, we were talking to, to security and they're like, yeah, this place is super creepy. And they told me this one story I'll never forget. And, um, they, <laughs> I guess they came in one day to open up the, you know, the, the venue mm. and there was a, like, there's bricks like inside the, the, the wall and uh, like inside the venue and one of the bricks had like fallen off and was like, yeah. you know, where you walk. So they're like, oh, that's weird that the brick fell. So they kind of go to take the brick and put it back in the wall where it fell out. And they uh-huh. look and they're like, oh, there's something in there. And they reach in uh-huh. and they pulled out like a little girl, little girl's dress. Really? Are you How serious? fucked up is that? Yeah. So, and I don't know. I mean, I, these people, like, I don't think these people are crazy or messing with me. Um, so... I've never seen anything, wow. but I don't, I don't definitely don't rule it out. So sure. My, my like immediate like reaction to that is why is she still there? Like just, I feel, I feel sorry for her that she stayed around if that's real, right. you know? I mean, yeah, I like, don't, why hasn't she gone somewhere else? I'm not good at getting anyway. into the mental psyche of ghosts personally. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not a ghost psych- mm. psychiatrist or anything. No. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, some people say that like spirits and ghosts and things just need someone to say that it's okay for you to move on or it's okay right. for you to go yeah. now. Um, so that's like, um, instead of saying you're not welcome here, I'm going to change it to it's okay for you to go. Yeah. It's kind of like, I mean, we're so afraid of them being like harmful to us, but most of the time, probably just not They're probably stuck. I don't know. I go again, something I need to learn more about. It's just like the thing you were saying about like smiling at strangers and the woman mm. in Portsmouth, you know, it's just, you yes, gotta be like, yes. you gotta be nice and friendly and yeah. everything will be okay. Ghosts just need someone to be nice to them. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, thanks so much. Um, anything else you want to talk about real quick? Or, or no, I, honestly, I'm so stoked to all the ground we covered today. Yeah, no, thanks. I, I like I love podcasts, and that's why I wanted to get into this. I just think it, it's like, even with like some of the interviews I've read with you, uh, like I'll you know I was like doing some little research and like clicking on like Twitter stuff, and it'll be like. Jenna from Tonight Alive says, Bring Me the Horizon it was inspirational yeah. to this record. And I'm like, okay. And I read it, and that's literally the entire article. Well, I'm like, I know. What it's, the hell? Like, wait, you, you talk to somebody for 20 minutes, and that's all they say? Like, that's I know. Crazy. That was a little bit disappointing. And yeah. That, and, like, it wasn't fully out of context, but, like, if the whole conversation had been there, it would have made a lot more sense. And if, if you want me to, um, oh, do you mind if I explain that? No, go ahead. Yeah. Well, the day I was um, that interview happened was after the NME Awards, where Bring Me won the um, Innovative Flag Award, I think it was called. Uh-huh. And when I didn't know that, but the interviewer told me, and I said, "Wow, that gave me goosebumps. That's really cool." Because I do believe that they're an innovative band. And and when Sempaternal came out in like I don't know, was it like twenty thirteen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we just loved that record, and we never listened to Bring Me before. Like it, through high school, I'd only heard like some of their early stuff. Um, when everyone was into like emo music and, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then Sam Paternal came out and like my whole band, we just fell in love with it. And that was the record we listened to all the time. And, um, well, so I was really inspired by that and that was David Bendis, um, mixed that and that was where we learned of his name. Oh, okay. And, um, basically we were just so impressed that they'd done this record that had a completely new sound for them, but also at all, I feel like it was the first time I'd ever heard music like that and they've continued to recreate themselves and, um, you know, become more successful on their own terms than they were sort of belonging to a sound or a scene or a genre. So that was really inspiring to us because we were at a fork in the road writing our new record, yeah, um, deciding yeah. whether we do the same thing again um, and recycle a sound that's been around for a long time or, you know, just follow our intuition and write something that was, like, risky and, like, was scary for us because we were like, oh, this doesn't sound like what we know Tonight Alive to be. So that was, that was, <laughs> that's how Bring Me the Horizon inspired us. Right. And that's our new the, record. yes, yes. In many more words than the, oh, uh, very many more words. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, that's, I always think that's hilarious when you talk to somebody, an interview and like you're talking for like 20, 25 minutes or whatever it is. And then they just take a snippet. Yeah. So at least this, yes, like, yes, we've been talking for over an hour now, but at least this is all going to make it. I'm not going to cut it and cut no, it up just awesome. so it's, <laughs> yeah, so no, people, people get the real story. So I, I love podcasts and, and um, uh, I, really, I really enjoyed really this. It, oh, come on. Oh, stop. No, I'm serious. I don't, I couldn't do this, what you're doing right now. Like, you're I full of questions and conversation. It's great. I really enjoy like, talking to you. Thank you. Well, you know what? We sh- we'll do it again sometime. I'd like that. Awesome. Thanks, Shane. Okay, well, I'll let you go. I mean, we've both got shows tonight, so we can't talk too much. Have a great tour. Yeah, you too. And we'll send you the record. <laughs> oh, yeah, all the best with the new record, and, and uh, uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Thanks. I'll, um, I'll get in touch. All right, Shannon. See you, Shane. Okay, Thanks. bye. Bye. So there it is, my talk with Jenna. After that ended, we talked on the phone for a minute, and she's like, man, I can't believe that was an hour. Like, I could have talked for another hour, so... I'm sure we'll do another episode down the road. It was so great having her. We talked a lot about this song in the podcast, so it only makes sense for me to play it. Here is one of their new singles from their new album, Limitless. This is Tonight Alive and Drive on Lead Singer Syndrome. See you next week. All 
life.